Hello and welcome back to the Christian Contrast Podcast, where we talk about the ways in which Christ calls us to live differently than the world around us. My name is Garrett, and as usual, I'm joined by Dan. Hey guys. And today we have a very special guest. Dan, do you mind introducing our guest? Yeah, we are excited to be joined by Monique Dusan, the co-founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. Um, we're excited to get to have a conversation about justice, but first, there's probably some people listening to this who know about you guys and know about what you're doing, um, but could you just take a few minutes, introduce us to yourself and to the work that you guys are doing at the Center for Biblical Unity? Yes, thanks for having me. My name is Monique Dusan, as you mentioned, and I co-founded the Center for Biblical Unity, along with my ministry partner, Krista Bontrager. And the Center for Biblical Unity is really just an organization that exists to have safe and sane conversations around topics like race, justice, and unity specifically. And we do that from a very biblical, Christ-centered, Christ-focused approach. And so we're not interested really in having the social justice conversation. We are interested in having a justice conversation. What is biblical justice? And how does it dif differ from social justice? And how can we do biblical justice? What is race? Is race a concept that we find in scripture? So we have these conversations because they are important to our everyday lives and we are being approached by them in culture. But we want to make sure that as Christians, we're having a very distinct answer to the questions that culture is asking. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and thanks that that setup is going to help us get into our conversation later. Um, but I also know you guys, uh, as we're recording this, it's just a week or so away from the release of a curriculum you guys have been working on for a while, the curriculum reconciled. So love to just have you talk about that and what you're hoping that that accomplishes out there. Yes, so we are releasing a six-week curriculum. It is a small group curriculum, but it can be done individually, and it is entitled Reconciled. It focuses on, one, our reconciliation in the body of Christ as we have received it through... Um, our relationship with the, the father, you know, in Ephesians, it talks about our, um, our familial relationship as brothers and sisters. And in, um, well, in Ephesians 2, it talks about, you know, that the dividing wall has been broken down, but we are reconciled to the Father. That's the ministry of reconciliation that Paul was referring to, the fact that we have been reconciled sinful hearts to a holy God. And in that reconciliation, our hearts have been brought together too and knitted together ontologically or supernaturally as brothers and sisters. And so in that reconciliation or being reconciled, how do I walk out unity with my brothers and sisters? And I think that's a question that culture is asking. I think that's a question that many in the body of Christ are asking. How do I do unity? And so we spend the next five chapters. So the first one is looking at reconciliation. And then the next five weeks, look at what does it mean to do life together? What does it mean to be unified and to walk out unity? We look at examples in the early church. We contrast that with what culture is saying today. It has a workbook portion of it. And then it also has six video components where I'm not teaching, but I am sharing thoughts from our current cultural moments. Because, And I'm not teaching because I, we, Krista and I together, we wrote it together. We want people to dig into scripture for themselves. Mm -hmm. We are finding that many people don't have a very solid biblical foundation on these topics. And so get into the word and see what the word says. And it's not just Monique or Krista talking. It is the word of God speaking for itself. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think unity in the in the church is really important, and and I see the biblical value. I see in the early church 
I see the Apostle Paul really speaking to the value of unity. You know, there's in letters, people are saying, you know, can the Gentiles meet separately? You know, and he's like, no, you know, it's all together. But I, I sometimes I contrast that with kind of where the church is today and, and our history of a church of kind of dividing over race or culture or society. What are your thoughts on how important it is for a church to really seek that out, to seek being diverse for the sake of unity? To Okay, I'm sorry. I want to make sure that I'm answering the right question. How important is it for us to have diversity within the body? Yeah, and, and to seek that out for the sake of biblical unity. I guess my initial thought is that are we not already a diverse body? When we look at the global church, see, I think in America, we have a very distinct and unique position because of our history with slavery, because of our history with um, like Jim Crow and how the black church started and what that meant for, um, you know, doing church together and looking at even the, the formation of the assemblies of God and mm-hmm. things like that as a denomination. But the body of Christ and and Christians as a family, we are diverse. We are, you know, found on every continent and, you know, in pretty much every country on the planet. So when I look at diversity, I would say the body of Christ is diverse. Mm-hmm. Now, if I want to talk specifically about the American context, do would I sacrifice diversity for unity? No, because when we when we think about diversity and when we think about unity, I have to first realize that I have to have something to unify around. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm going to unify around something, I need to unify around scripture. And if that me if I have to sacrifice the unity of scripture for ethnic diversity, one of them's going to have to go. Mm-hmm. And so I would say we need unity around scripture above and beyond ethnic diversity. Mm-hmm. Understanding that the body of Christ is ethnically diverse anyway right so i'm not sure if that's answering your question in its entirety yeah so like maybe um as we form churches and as we form bodies of of worshipers we kind of um value above all biblical unity and as opposed to some type of um effort to be diverse for the sake of being diverse but more importantly we should just unite over common beliefs I would, yes, I would definitely say we unite around doctrine. I also believe that as the true word goes out, people will come. And so how do we talk about the ways that um, we do family? How do we talk about evangelism? Who are we going out and reaching to? You know, I think that looking at diversity from the the standpoint of evangelism isn't really talked about. You know, mm-hmm. who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. And why am I talking to to these people? Do I want to talk to, you know, this group of people over here simply because they can bring diversity to my church? Well, right. I think people will know that in, in a sense that they're being used, right. you know? And it also depends on where the church is located. You can have a church where five miles around there is no, you know, other ethnic group. And so if I have a church that wants to be ethnically diverse, but for five miles, 10 miles around that church, it's all black people. Right. Should I now create a specific project to go 20 miles out to bus in, you know, someone who's of a different ethnicity? Well, how am I building unity where I am right. and doing justice where I am? I think yeah. these are some of the questions that we should be asking as opposed to how can I build just this one church that is completely a microcosm of the entire world? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I love that too. And just the talk of, like you're saying, with with the other churches involved, not, and I think that this probably is more of an American thing and maybe a, a 
non-denominational church like ours could more easily fall into this where we think of these whole ideas of biblical unity and we think of it solely within our like we are the body of christ at life bible fellowship church as opposed to seeing brothers and sisters at other congregations around that we don't have to have them specifically in our building for us to have a sense of unity and togetherness and i think you hit on a good point like we might attend one local church but especially here in los angeles and the surrounding areas of la you find churches everywhere i passed four churches just to get here and (laughs) so what are we doing as the body it it at times can feel like congregations just just hone in on their own little congregation without remembering that the people in this congregation right next door are also our brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters. So how do I build unity here? How do we participate with one another as family? And that's truly the call that we would be united. We would be of one mind that we would truly live as family. How do you have conversations about that when you have some people who specifically have chosen a church or denomination based on doctrinal beliefs and kind of, you know, begin to have those thoughts that like, maybe they don't have it right. And so I struggle to accept them as fully brothers and sisters in Christ because they have it wrong and my denomination has it right. How do you have conversations about people about seeing them as brothers and sisters of Christ, even if there's disagreement? Well, I think that no denomination has it right. And I mean, Sorry to anyone who's watching and thinks that their denomination has it right. Let's just be honest. Um, No denomination has it all right. One, I would also ask the question of what are the essentials of the faith? Mm -hmm. And so how do we unify around the essentials and understand that some things are going to be secondary and we're not going to all agree on all of the secondary issues. But if we can agree on the core issues, how do we have unity around those core issues and understand that we can, you know, agree to disagree or move forward but at some point it's going to call for a maturity Mm. for us to be mature in christ and mature believers not just you know drinking the milk of disagreement but really having meat around the core things that we agree on so that we can come together and truly live as family it's like i don't agree with my siblings on everything yeah and that's okay. They're my siblings and I love them. And we have to figure out how to do life together because we're family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. All right. Let's talk about justice. You kind of, you, you mentioned it before when you were given a little bit of a description of what you guys do at the Center for Biblical Unity. Um, and actually you said something that I thought we could key in on as, as a good way to start off. You talked about biblical justice and social justice. So I'll just say, for me, when I first started hearing the term social justice, I just thought, oh, like, who could possibly object to social justice? Yeah, I just took it in my head to mean sort of this just means living out justice in the social realm. Um, So could you just talk a little bit about when you're talking about biblical justice versus social justice, as that term's used sometimes in our culture, what are you talking about as far as the the contrast between those two? Well... I also uphold or have upheld social justice for many years. And I think in coming out of um, some of the social justice mindset, what I'm understanding is that one, all justice is social because we're social beings, you know, so I can't do justice just with myself, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I wouldn't be If you're social. playing solitaire, yeah, just here, you, know, you know, not justice, cheating. Just me. Yeah. yeah, but I even would find a way to cheat in solitaire. So there's that. <laughs> but 
you know, looking at biblical justice looks at part of the character of God because God is just. Mm-hmm. He treats us equally. He treats us impartially. I think that's that's mm-hmm. a better word is that he treats us impartially, that he is not um, favoring the rich over the poor. He's not favoring this group over that group. There is um, a way in which God participates with us that is just. Now, when we look at social justice, social justice, in my, in my opinion, is based off of the standards of culture that say that you know tell us what is good that tell us what should be treated equally or impartially and what should not it gives um answer to how we should basically live out life with each other and what we should do or not do with one another so a, a good example that i give is um is like reproductive justice. It has the term justice in it, but it's really just a euphemism for abortion. And so if you are, you know, doing Micah 6-8, do justice according to the social justice narrative or the social justice standards, you will stand for reproductive justice because, hello, I must do justice. Mm. Well, if we're not clear in our terms and understanding that social justice is something based is is based on society structures and society's wisdom and definitions, you will stand for murder. And so we have to be able to thread these things through clearly. It's not just social justice is not just about the impartial treatment of people. Yeah, yeah I like that. I like that. One, one of the one of the you know concerns I've had with social justice is it's based on our perspective, human perspective on justice. You know, what is the right and wrong way to treat someone? And I think, like us, that can, that can be flawed. And I think you know, if God, when I learned that God is perfectly just and loves perfectly, that. I learned that that's significant because you depend on um, when you depend on God's justice, you won't hopefully fall victim to personal opinions or beliefs or someone else's beliefs. How do we as Christians kind of filter out? I think there's a lot of great social justice issues that align with with biblical justice, but how do we as Christians begin to kind of see the world of justice differently through the lens of of what God, how God defines just? I would say get into the Word. Like if we want to know what justice is and um, God's definition or standards for justice, we don't arbitrate that. We don't set those standards and say, hey, look, you know, I'm a Christian, so this must be just. No, we get into the word and we specifically go back to the Old Testament to look at where justice was originally talked about, where it was originally defined. And then we do that. You know, it, it goes along the the lines of words like marginalization or the marginalized or the oppressed mm-hmm. and things like that. Where do we find that originally in scripture? We find that in the Old Testament. We find the definitions for that in the Old Testament. And so if you want to know how do we do justice and what is biblical justice, you need to look into the Old Testament because justice truly is a part of the law. So that is where I would say we should start from. Now, if you want a good book on it, I would say um, that Williams, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth is a good one. And Scott Allen's book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice, is another good book that really threads through the idea of biblical justice versus social justice. There's also another author um, by the name of Cal Beisner, Dr. Cal Beisner, and he does a great job of looking at biblical justice versus social justice. 
we can look at outside resources, but we do that only in light of scripture, like only as we have gone through scripture. Scripture is our first um, arbiter of what is just and unjust. Yeah, but one of the things, and and you you touched. I, I love using the the very biblical terminology like partiality, where we can look at that and say, all right, this is a concept that we're looking right at scripture and and figuring out. Um, I know a, a while ago I stopped I stopped using the term social justice partly. I, I remember one time doing a post where I just asked people. I said, if you use this term and feel like this term is helpful, help me understand what is social justice that couldn't be covered just by justice. Um, you know, and I, I got, I got a variety of responses in the end. It convinced me, uh, I don't find this term helpful. I, I find it confusing, but one of the things, and, and again, it's, it may be a term that is hard to nail down. One of the things that seems to be associated with it is the idea, the, the discussion between equality and equity. Um, because a lot of the social justice conversation seems to be more kind of surrounding groups. All right. We've got, you know, we've got a disproportionate amount of black people in prison, um, if we had equity, there would be kind of equal percentages to the percentages in the country versus the equality conversation saying, all right, is everybody being treated equal? And there's still going to be kind of disparate responses and things like that. Um, I, I was looking at Exodus just before this. Um, Exodus 23 talks about justice. And one of the significant things it talks about is it gives, I think, the warning that we'd all expect um, that it says, make sure, paraphrasing, make sure the poor get a fair shake. You know, make sure that you don't bring in false witnesses because you can pay them off. Make sure you don't bribe a judge. Make sure the poor get a fair shake. But one of the other things that said in Exodus 23 is don't go along with the crowd to do injustice, which I thought, what a what a perfect way that we see that for kind of our cultural moment where people will, you know, people won't call it the crowd. People will call it the mob. But there can be this mentality of, all right, the 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 sort of the crowd is going this way and we're going to jump on it and look to take down powerful people. Whereas in scripture, we're told, make sure those powerful people are held accountable and don't get a free ride. But also there's this danger on the other side where the crowd, the mob can all go together and you can just jump on with that and injustice can happen that way also. Yeah, it, it, there's such a, a balance in scripture. You know, and this is why we don't arbitrate because unfortunately our hearts are, are sinful. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts will, will tend to lead toward tribe or toward the thing that we like or toward the person who's going to pay me off. You know, there's, there is definitely, um, a, a reality of scripture that tells us how we treat one another. And without that, without that reality, without that, um, definition or arbitration you know we are we're human and we can easily be led astray and so i i'm you know thankful and and even as i learn more about justice the the idea of how we treat one another and not being led away with the mob i think there are so many principles from exodus that we can bring over to today krista my my partner would call them transcultural principles sure. that we can truly just bring over to today to see how we should live out um, our relationship with one another individually and in relation to like the larger society yeah well, that's good. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I was just going to ask, and and I think we we've gotten into this a little bit already. But um, what what do you see sort of as the stakes when we have this conversation? 
when we're talking about justice, when we're talking about really wanting to make sure that we have a biblical conception of justice, as opposed to a more culturally driven or just gut driven response to justice. Um, what are the stakes that you see, man, if we really need to make sure we get this right? Otherwise, otherwise you're going to be in sin. Otherwise, the church will be promoting something that is sin. Hmm. We have to, you know, remember that we don't exchange truth for a lie. We don't um, just grab on to the first thing that someone offers us. We look for evidence. We look for truth. We look for what aligns with scripture. So just because, you know, Micah 6, 8 tells me to do justice. Well, what does that mean? Justice isn't defined there. So if I'm going to truly do justice, I must also do the due diligence to make sure that I am not doing something that qualifies as sin, i.e. the reproductive justice conversation sure. or the LGBTQ plus conversation around justice or even child studies and what that looks like around justice. And so if it's the parent's responsibility to raise their children when a conversation comes along that says educating your children this way is unjust, I will say no According to scripture, this is my responsibility to raise my child in the ways of the Lord and in the instruction of the Lord. And so if culture comes along and says, well, this is a justice issue, we need to make sure that we're doing child studies and um, we are allies for children. That's great. You can be an ally for the children. Make sure that you're the right kind of ally because the wrong kind of ally will participate in sin mm. and will promote sin even among the pews. Mm -hmm. You kind, of, you kind of touched on it that justice kind of plays out in two different ways, both in a very personal way in your personal life and kind of a corporate way. What does it look like to have um, really a biblical perspective on justice, both how you live your life as a Christian and how you engage in society and maybe serve in a, in a broader, with a broader justice issue? I think the, the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sure that I have the names right. The Rich Man and Lazarus is a, is a a good synopsis of personal. How do I live out personally? You know, this idea of justice. Do I walk by the people, like people every day, and just kind of step over them? When I have resource in my hand to be able to um, speak into someone's need or to um, serve a specific need of someone, you know, or am I just, you know, focused on myself and I'll just walk over you? That's fine. I think that we have we have to consider the way that we interact with one another. So when we look in the Old Testament, I'm not going to borrow my neighbor's cloak or or receive his cloak in regards or in. In, in interest for a loan. Mm -hmm. And if I do hold on to his cloak, I'm definitely not going to keep it overnight because these are the laws set forward in the Old Testament. This is how I do justice one to another. Now, when we look on the bigger sphere, I would say we first, as far as, as far as doing justice on the bigger sphere of life, I would say we first have to start with the gospel. See, justice can't happen until people's hearts are transformed, until people mm -hmm. actually have relationship and interaction with the gospel. Because it's only through the transformed heart that laws are passed and changed. If I am you know, in a place of power and I want to enact laws, if I am just de deeming them good, who knows if they're good or not, if they're not in line with scripture. And I think mm -hmm. this is part of what we're seeing in our culture even. We have parties and political lines, and this is not the point of that conversation, but each side is saying, well, I know what's good. Well, we only know what's good, true, and beautiful as we look into scripture. 
And so if we want to enact laws and policies that are good, true and beautiful and in line with scripture, I must first go to scripture. And I can't trust that a politician or someone in power is going to be able to do what's good, true and beautiful without there first being a change of of their heart. Now, if we want to look at how do we impact, you know, the larger society laws, I have to understand first that 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 people's hearts must be changed. That's first. Second, we can use our voice, our vote and our dollar to impact some of those systems or changes. But we also have to understand what is a system. Are we mm. looking at macro systems? Are we looking at micro mm. systems? What are we considering systemic injustice? Like there's a lot that's happening in conversation that I know we don't have time to get into here, but definitions matter. Mm. And so if I'm looking at how do I do justice within the larger society, I first need to understand one, that that happens as, as hearts are changed. Two, I can use my voice, my vote and my dollar. And three, what is the definition of justice? Mm. Because cultural tell me that all these things are unjust and it really might not be. Mm. It really could just be that you don't like it. Mm. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, like you said that there's a massive discussion to, to be had on the structural and systemic level, but uh, I'd love to at least touch on it because like you said, that there's the person to person justice that, that a lot of times is easier for us to conceptualize, not, not necessarily easier to live out, but we can see, you know, all right, I, I took this from this person or I borrowed this, I need to give it back. Um, do you have some thoughts on how Christians should have a framework for when we are getting more broad and talking about laws of the land or talking about systems that are set in place? And, and maybe the right question is to ask is, what what could we be on the alert for that would signal to us this is an unjust system that needs to be reformed or needs to be replaced in some way? I think one of the first things to look at is how is this law or system treating people? Is it um, treating people in ways that are impartial or um, treating one group better or different than the other? If so, is there a biblical principle for that? What does that look like? What um, what are the, the principles of scripture in this law that are harming one group of people over another? We can't look at a system and say, well, just because there are more people of this ethnicity behind bars or um, impacted, that that entire system or structure is unjust. Every inequity is not a sin. Just because just because there's the the result is inequity does not necessarily mean that that it's unjust or it is sinful. It could be that there is something that needs to change within the group. That and that could be part of that discussion. Or it could truly be that, you know, we have a system set up that creates inequity intentionally. That's something to look at, too. Perhaps there's a system where people just haven't recognized that this inequity is coming about. And, you know, let's thread through what's really happening. So I think, first of all, let's not make assumptions. Let's not just assume that because it's um, unequal, that it is unjust. Let's do our due diligence as Christians to find the evidence and see what comes up then. Yeah. And maybe even go, I, I love that you brought up also the rich man and Lazarus, because I think that brings up, you know, if if we're looking at this from our culture and saying, all right, there, there's a voice in our culture that would say um, any inequity is injustice. And we know, all right, that that's not scripturally sound. Um, but another one that we might come up with is almost the the minimalist 
Um, I owe nobody else anything unless they can utterly prove that I owe them that. And so you look at the rich man and Lazarus and you can say, well, it was the rich man's money. He doesn't owe it to Lazarus. But it's clearly treated as if it's not just lack of charity, but as if there is an injustice going on because he sees this person deeply in need and is passing over. Um, we, we've talked about, you know, Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is sort of our key passage as a church when we talk about giving. And in there, the apostle Paul basically says, my goal is that since you Corinthians have extra, you'll give to the Jerusalem saints because they don't have enough. And he's not treating it as charity. He seems to be treating it as a justice issue. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting, and, and maybe you could comment on this, that we could end up with sort of a minimalist, like, hey, unless you can prove on the dotted line that I wronged you and therefore I owe you, otherwise I owe you nothing. Whereas it seems like the scriptural standard is higher and things that we might put in the category of charity are biblically actually issues of justice. I think a good... Um, a good what's the word I'm looking for? A good scripture or a good tenant to look at would be gleaning. Hmm. So in the Old Testament, people, it wasn't a, a, you know, you're going to die. Like there's going to be some harsh, strict punishment if you don't leave the edges of your field for the poor and the needy. Um but it was an expectation. Like it, it was a, a biblical, like the Lord said, look, don't don't harvest the edges of your field. Whatever you whatever is left on the ground, you know, you should leave. Don't pick it up. There was an expectation that a provision would be made for the poor. And I think we've kind of gotten away from yeah. that because of welfare programs, because of selfishness in for some people. And that was what it was for me for a long time. Like, you know. And when we look at the principles set forth regarding justice and how do we treat neighbor, how do we treat the poor, how do we treat the disabled, how do we treat, you know, the foreigner, there are provisions made in the law that tell us, you know, how we participate with people who fall within those boundary lines. And it's not a thing of... um necessarily like you'll die if you don't do this but it was an expectation set forth in the law as to how people would participate with one another and so you know i don't know that there's this um dotted line like you're saying do this or die but i do believe that the principles are there that can be extrapolated into today's culture with how we treat people how we treat the poor yeah Hmm. But yeah, what, what I'd love to, I know we, we had a conversation uh, a couple months ago and I, I was asking you sort of just about um, issues of justice that we might not have our grid up on. You know, you, you talked about busing in different communities and I was sort of like, that didn't even occur to me. You know, when, you know, when you talk about abortion, I'm like, yes, that's on my radar mm-hmm. as, as an important justice issue. Um, but I loved it. Could you just talk about what are maybe some justice issues that are out there that are not on the typical Christian's radar that we could look at and say, this is something I could be a part of in living out Micah 6, 8 and, and doing justice in my community. Yeah, so we were talking about busing, not, I don't think it was in the traditional sense of right. like busing when people, you know, generally think about it from the, the 60s and 70s and things like that, or 50s, 60s and 70s. But the idea that communities are set up very intentionally and public transportation doesn't go to every piece of a community. Well, why not? It's because we want to keep the riffraff out because we don't want, you know, these kind of people in our neighborhood. But then 
when jobs become available yeah. in these neighborhoods, mm. how can people who may live more in the center of town get to those jobs if they don't have cars or any means to get there? Well, that automatically cuts off opportunities for work. But work is a very biblical principle, mm. and we should be allowing people the opportunity to work. And so that was something that um, Kristen and I noticed being in West Chicago, really affluent area, no public transportation. Mm. People are just cut off. You know, here in Upland, you can see where transportation goes, but then you can also see where it doesn't go. Mm. And so what? How do we? how do we not only empower people to work, but then also create ways in which they can be responsible for themselves and actually get to work. Well, I can't expect somebody to walk 12 miles, you know, to get to work, especially here in Southern California where it gets 100, 110 in the summer. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we want to to advocate for people to be able to be responsible for themselves. And public transportation is a way to be able to do that. Um, another justice issue that Krista talks about a lot is um, the the title loan companies and like the check cashing places that will mm. charge interest to the poor. And you see these in lower income areas. So, you know, if you're looking at like a NICS check cashing or some kind of title loan company or something like that, you want to charge, you want to cash your check. Your check is $150. By the time you pay back what you owe and the interest, you're already in the hole. You're never mm-hmm. going to be able to get out. But biblically, we are not to charge interest to the poor. So how do we have conversations around this very biblical issue so that people can get out of debt? so that people can truly live in a lifestyle that is self-sufficient. Mm. So the, I think those are some yeah. of the things that that we talk about. Um, abortion, yes. We can talk about education. What does that look like to, to have um, true educational opportunities for children in lower income areas? You know, are they just stuck and now needing to be penalized with schools that are low performing? What does it look like to be able to have mobility mm-hmm. and to for parents to truly be able to be responsible for the the education of their children? If public school is the option that many parents need to go with, you know, who are who live down in um, maybe lower income areas, if they need to stay with public schools, can they have the choice to choose the public school that their child goes to so that their child can have the best education possible? There are many opportunities, I think, for for justice conversations, biblical justice conversations that that we are missing. Mm-hmm. What are good opportunities to 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 get involved in those things? Say that you 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 find out about one of these things, and and you seem like it seems like that's a great idea. I think I'm passionate about that. You know, within the context of wanting to serve from a Christian perspective, how do you serve in some of these big kind of large systemic issues that seems like one person is not so sure what they can do about it? Gosh, that's a really good question. I would say pray, first of all. Don't just, you know, jump into something and, you know, God hasn't led you to do that. So pray about that and make sure, okay, this is this is not just what I'm passionate about, because you can be passionate about many things, but that this is something that the Lord is having you step into, one. And then two, start small. Get a group of friends together and be like, look, have you have you thought about this? Start the conversation at least. Get other ideas flowing so that you can see more of the the structure maybe that you're missing in some of that conversation do research start an organization Mm. you know or partner with your church to be able to address certain issues that you may be seeing that your church may not see um 
And even if it's not like a church ministry necessarily, what can you and your friends do to impact a specific area? Make sure that it's specific and it's Mm -hmm. not like, well, you know, um, I noticed that all of the kids in this one area don't have X. Well, trying to address every child in a specific area is going to be a huge undertaking. What can you do to reach five kids? Mm. You know, if you reach five kids, how are you now empowering the next generation? I think um, being strategic and smart in how we do some of these things is important. But, you know, also looking at what organizations already exist that you can partner with. So if it's not your church and maybe your friends aren't interested, what um, what organizations do what you're looking to do? In my case, I didn't see any other organizations doing what, what I felt like the Lord was telling us to do. And... So we started CFBU and, and that, but that's what the Lord told me to do. The Lord is going to tell people to do things specific to what their gifting is and what he wants them to do. This is just what he told me to do. And Mm -hmm. so we started an organization and there it is. But um, yeah, I would say partner with other organizations first. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Another opportunity that, individuals churches can step in or churches can step into is something like um, microfinancing you know how do we empower people who may be of lower income to really start to save or to learn to budget or to um, become entrepreneurial how do we teach the skills of entrepreneurship to people who may not know that that is a huge way that someone can step in and help to meet a need and impact the next generation you can also look at things like homeschooling you know, how do homeschooling parents perhaps form a co-op or sponsor a family to be able to join mm-hmm. a homeschooling co-op so that their children can also be educated and educated well, you know, not necessarily stuck in the cycle of poor education. These are ways to specifically and strategically help people out of poverty. Yeah. So so final question, at least for me. Um, you know, you have lots of these conversations about justice and about biblical justice versus unbiblical cultural ideas of justice. Um, there's probably people listening to this that whether it it's a generation gap and they're experiencing difficult conversations with their kids where they feel like they're talking past each other or just people are talking to other believers and saying, gosh, I, I feel like we're just missing each other on this issue. Um, what might be helpful for somebody that wants to reach out and bridge gaps with somebody that's talking about a very different thing when they're talking about justice and wants to help lead them to a biblical idea and and partner with them in that? Go slow. (laughs) Go slow. Um, And remember that for most people who uphold social justice, they want they're doing it from a good place or they're they're doing it because they want to do good the culture is just offering them a different way and unfortunately many churches are offering them a different way to do justice so have patience have grace go slow seek to win this is what krista did with me seek to win the next conversation you don't have to win the whole war Mm -hmm. you know just one conversation at a time then i would say learn the definitions learn what culture is talking about Mm -hmm. i think many times christians want to go into these conversations from the point of i'm right Mm -hmm. well yes you may be right or you could be wrong but know what the culture's saying and why this person is talking about 
justice and social issues the way they are? What is culture saying? Too often times we know the scripture, but we don't know how to address um, the culture or the cultural points because we don't understand what culture is talking about. I'm not saying get indoctrinated in culture, but I do think Mm -hmm. that we should have an understanding of what's happening so that I can have a conversation with someone else to say, hey, look, I know why you think this and I can actually articulate your point, but let me also offer you what scripture says and tell you why it's a better option. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. That's great counsel on, on all of those things. Um, uh, thank you so much, Monique, for being with us and for talking about this subject. Loved having you. Thank you to those of you who took the time to listen and watch this. Um, we'll, we'll be linking to the website for Center for Biblical Unity in the description. I encourage you all to check that out. For some of you, that may mean also checking out the Reconciled Curriculum. Maybe that's something that the Lord is going to call you to check out and to dig more into these issues. Um, And also, please leave comments and feedback. We love to interact with people on what you got from this, questions that you have, and thoughts that you have in the aftermath. Um, Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in. Monique and Garrett, thanks so much. Um, We'll see you next time on The Christian Contrast. Mm